Let's now turn our Bibles to Micah 4, 1 through 13 for today's scripture reading. I'll give you a moment to find it in your Bibles or to pull it up on your app. The ESV version of the text will also be displayed on the screen. Again, that's Micah 4, 1 to 13. It shall come to pass in the latter days that the mountain of the house of the Lord shall be established as the highest mountains, and it shall be lifted up above the hills, and peoples shall flow to it. And many nations shall come and say, Come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob, that he may teach us his ways, and that we may walk in his paths. For out of Zion shall go forth the law and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. He shall judge between many peoples and shall decide disputes for strong nations far away. And they shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war anymore. But they shall sit every man under his vine and under his fig tree, and no one shall make them afraid. For the mouth of the Lord of hosts has spoken. For all the peoples walk each in the name of its God, but we will walk in the name of the Lord our God forever and ever. In that day, declares the Lord, I will assemble the lame and gather those who have been driven away and those whom I have afflicted. And the lame I will make the remnant and those who were cast off a strong nation and the Lord will reign over them in Mount Zion from this time forth and forevermore. And you, O tower of the flock, hill of the daughter of Zion, to you shall it come, the former dominion shall come, kingship for the daughter of Jerusalem. Now why do you cry aloud? Is there no king in you? Has your counselor perished? That pain seized you like a woman in labor? Writhe and groan, O daughter of Zion, like a woman in labor. For now you shall go out from the city and dwell in the open country and you shall go to Babylon. There you shall be rescued. There the Lord will redeem you from the hand of your enemies. Now many nations are assembled against you, saying, let her be defiled and let our eyes gaze upon Zion. But they do not know the thoughts of the Lord. They do not understand his plan, that he has gathered them as sheaves to the threshing floor. Arise and thresh, O daughter of Zion, for I will make your horn iron, and I will make your hooves bronze, and you shall beat in pieces many peoples, and shall devote their gain to the Lord, their wealth to the Lord of the whole earth. May God bless the reading of his word. This week, Minister Kola Aina will preach on the topic, What Will God's Kingdom Look Like? Continuing our sermon series, Micah, What Does the Lord Require of You? Let's now turn our attention to Minister Kola. I have a friend who, every time we watch a TV show or anime together, she always spoils the ending for herself. And when I ask her why, she's like, I, I need to know the ending so that I can really be okay with the ups and downs of everything that goes on through the show. And for the longest time, I couldn't understand why she would do that. It was crazy to me. But you know, as, as I was thinking about examples of, of, of how that works, I realized that besides for fictional stories, I actually need, and I think so much of our lives are about knowing what's going to happen in the future that helps us 
navigate what's going on right now. I mean, you, you think of, of, of being pregnant and having a baby, right? It, it, it's, it's difficult. You have morning sickness. Your stomach gets big. You need to buy special pillows to sleep on to support yourself and your stomach and your back and your body. But you, you, you deal with all of that because you know the end result is a child. It's life. I mean, the same thing for school. You know, as, as we work, as you're in high school or college and as you're, you're working, you know, and if you're getting your master's or PhD, you're working in school. You're doing all this homework. You're having some sleepless nights, staying up late, stressing about exams and tests because you know that it's leading to a job and it's leading towards, you know, a, a future for you and maybe for your wife and for your, your future kids or your husband. And, and maybe, maybe it's because you want to be able to give back into your community and to be able to do that as a doctor, you need to go through years and years of school. You, you, we, we, we are able to get through a lot of the difficulties in our lives, a lot of the ups and downs, because we know that there is some hope for us in the future. A, a lot of times, we, we, if we can, we'll spoil the movie for ourselves, right? But that becomes a little bit more difficult when things become out of our control, when things move into broader spheres, broader areas of life. I mean, I mean recently, it has been the election and how divided our nation is. How do we start to address that, address that in our communities? How do we start to address systemic racism and injustice within America and within our world? These are not things that we can personally do, that we can personally take on the burdens. And these are also things that we know how the end is going to be. We don't know if things are going to get better or if things are going to improve in our lifetime or if they ever will. You know, and, and, and as we as we've with, with George Floyd and with our nation's kind of uh, 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 reckoning with race relations and injustice, and then even now with, our, with, our, with uh, having our new president, with the presidential election, there's been so much, so many articles that are nihilistic, that are discouraged, that are frustrated, and that, that are lacking hope. Because, because they, they see the world in which we're in and they say, are things getting better? Or are they getting worse? We don't know if there's going to be a good ending. We don't know if there's going to be a good outcome. And so, and, and so there, there's, there's a movement that I've seen towards hopelessness, towards frustration, and towards numbness. And I think that we, we also can see this sometimes in our own relationships too with other people that we've given up on or that we've become frustrated with or even... A church. You know, these, these, this feeling, this situation is what the Israelites were facing. It's what they were engaged with as God addresses them in Micah's chapters 1 to 3. Because, I mean, if you, if you think about what the addresses in, in chapters 1 to 3, chapter 1 is about idolatry. And you think, of, think about the struggle of idolatry and how so much of the Old Testament centers around Israel's wrestling with this, right? Think about the establishment of Israel as a country. As they left Egypt, right, these, this grand moment where God sent the plagues, Pharaoh lets them go, and then they cross the river, and, and the Egyptians are coming, and God closed the river. It's miraculous. It's the establishment. It's the freedom of a nation, but then what is the next thing almost immediately that they do? When Moses goes up to the mountain to get the Ten Commandments, 
to meet with God. The people are worried, and so they build a golden calf. That's the God of Egypt, and they worship it, right? It's, it's, this, this, should, this should be this climactic moment of, of, yes, we praise the Lord, we have trust in him. He is greater than Egypt, and people complained and grumbled, and they built a golden calf and worshipped it as God, rather than Yahweh, rather than the one true God. This has been a paradigm of Israel, and you, you, could, you could say this too, that idolatry in Israel is systemic. Yes, there's an individual responsibility to worship God, but it's also a national crisis. It's an identity thing in Israel. The people struggle with systematic problems with idolatry. And then chapters 2 to 3, it talks about unjust rulers politically, and chapter 3, unjust ruler spiritually, right? These are, these are problems that are deeply rooted in, is, in Israel. And as God confronts them for their sin, as God says there's going to be punishment for this because you have disobeyed, because you have participated in injustice, because you have hurt people, because you haven't cared for the poor, because you have turned your hearts away from me, God says there's punishment for that. And I think that's similar to how we can feel in the midst of that the people of Israel probably saying, what do we do? Where's our hope? Where do we put our trust? Just like in the same way, we, we ask the same thing with, with systemic racism, with a divided country, with hurt and broken relationships in us. We say, where do we turn to? What is my hope? Is there hope? Or do I just give up and wallow in self-despair? And the good news for the Israelites, the good news for us today, is that the kingdom of God is coming. And when God's kingdom comes, it'll make things right. When God's kingdom comes, he will make all things right. We read this in Micah 4, Micah 4.1. It shall come to pass in the later days that the, the mountain of the house of the Lord shall be established as the highest of all the mountains and shall be lifted up above the hills and people shall flow to it and the many nations shall come. Right. What is, so what is this mountain language? The, the mountain, the, the house of the Lord, the mountain of the house of the Lord. What is, what is this language, right? And so in ancient times, if it, if it was if the land had opportunity, they would generally build their 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 capitals of their cities, where the king's palace was, where the central city was, on a mountain, on a hill, to, for two reasons at least. One, because strategically it is hard to fight uphill. When you're on top of the hill, you have the advantage. But I think probably more related to this passage is when it's on top of a mountain, your eyes go there and your eyes see this. Everyone around sees this is where the capital is. And what this is saying over here about the mountain, God will establish his house on the mountain, on the highest mountain, is that he's, God's kingdom is going to be established and it's going to be the greatest kingdom. It's going to be the one where, you notice this language throughout this whole chapter, all people, all nations will be able to come and experience and be in the nation, in this kingdom, under the rulership of God. Now, how is this kingdom described? How is the ruling of God described? Where do we place our hope and why? We place our hope here, but why do we do it, right? 
And, and it, it says this about it in verse three. He shall judge between many peoples. He shall decide for strong nations far away and they shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nations shall not lift up their sword against nation. Neither, thou sh- neither shall they learn war anymore, but they shall s- they shall sit every man under his vine and under his fig tree, and no one shall make them afraid, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. This nation, when God comes, our hope, Israel's hope, is characterized by when God rules, he will rule justly. There will be justice, and in his justice there brings peace and prosperity. For all people. The situation in Israel right now is dire. Is dire. In in Micah chapter 1, it says this. Micah, the word of the Lord came to Micah of Morasheth in the days of Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah. If you read the story of, of, of Hezekiah in 2 Kings, you, you, will, you will recognize that, that Judah was surrounded by Sennacherib, who was the king of the Assyrians. And they sieged them for many days. And it got to a point, they wouldn't allow food and they wouldn't allow drink. It got to the point where parents were eating their children because there wasn't enough food. It was dire circumstances. This is the hardship Israel is going through. This is the punishment they're receiving for their injustice. God allows the other nations. But the thing is that God actually provides. He, he makes a way for them to come. But there's a moment where Israel is weak. The surrounding nations of Assyria, who is cruel, who takes their captives in and they hook their nose and and they lead them astray into captivity. Babylon, who is a rising power, they're surrounded by all of these nations and they're weak and they're cowering. But their hope is, God says, one day, all the nations, every people, the people around you will come to Lord and seek wisdom. And and when there's going to be judgment, and there's going to be parity, and things are going to be fair. And when all the nations come, there's going to be peace. When they take their swords and beat them into plowshares, that's taking a weapon for destruction, for violence, for taking a life, and taking it into a farming, farming tool, and making it for thriving and prosperity. It says, on that day when the Lord comes, Israel, Judah, people of God, There will be peace. There will be rest. There will be justice. And and, and what's what's important about this view and this image of God is that it's, it's contrary to the image of sinfulness that we get in chapters one to three. It's totally different. Because they're unjust rulers who are hurting people. There isn't peace because of their idolatry. There isn't peace because the rulers haven't led the people faithfully. But God says, no, in my kingdom, it's, not, it's going to be opposite than how things are when they're sinful. God's kingdom is going to be a place of justice and of peace. Every man will sit under his own fig tree and vine, and no one shall make them afraid. Does that sound familiar? In Hamilton, when George Washington is leaving, he sings, Everyone shall sit under his own fig tree and grapevine, and no one shall make them afraid. They'll talk of the nation we've made one last time. 
He's talking about the ideals of America when he leaves the nation, when he leaves. He believes that this will be America. And the truth is, you know, through American history, it, has, it hasn't been like that. There hasn't been peace. There has been marginalization of people. Not everyone has been able to rest. This, this, this imagery of, of resting under a fig tree is you're having your own land and sitting under your fig tree in the shade and enjoying the day, having your own grapevine, your own sustenance to eat, having enough. And we've known that in this country, in this world, it hasn't always been like that. In fact, most of the time, it's not like that. But he says, in the kingdom of God, it will be like that. And it continues on. It says, when God brings that kingdom, there is hope. When he brings that kingdom, verse 6 and 7, on that day, declares the Lord, I will assemble the lame. I will gather those who have been driven away and those who have been afflicted. And the lame, I will make a remnant. Those who are cast off, a strong nation, and the Lord will reign over them in Mount Zion from this time forth and forevermore. The, the Septuagint, which is the Greek translation of the Old Testament, gets kind of the heart of, this, of, of the word lame because they translate it broken, right? If your legs are broken, you can't walk. But it says, if you are feeling lame, if you feel like you can't walk, if you feel maybe not, e- not even just physically broken, but if, if there's stuff in you emotionally, mentally, that's hurt, God says, there is healing found in my kingdom when I come, when I reign. Not only, will the, not only will justice come down like a flood, like a mighty river, there will be peace. And those who are taken off, those who feel ostracized, those who feel marginalized, those who feel broken and ashamed, I will heal, I will restore, I will bring you back. Isn't that a picture of hope that you want to hold on to in the midst of trial, in the midst of circumstance? For Israel, as they're surrounded by nations, as they're weak, as they don't have any hope, God says, there will be a time where I reign. Isn't that something you want to hold on to? In our day today, isn't that something you want to hold on to? When we struggle with, there's injustice in the world. There's injustice in America. There's injustice in Boston. There's racial injustice rampant. There's hurt and there's brokenness in our church. Isn't that something we want to hold on to to say that there is going to be a day where God makes things right again? Don't you want to hold on to that? I've broke, even in broken relationships in your family. I've been hearing a lot recently about the struggles that you know, kids and their parents will have, whether it be our kids or whether it be our parents. Sometimes it can be a break in that relationship, a misunderstanding, not being able to understand each other. And God says, in that brokenness, I will come and restore. Isn't that a beautiful picture of what is to come? Now, here's the thing. God, though there is this picture of something to come, though the story, the ending of it all has been spoiled to us, and maybe that does give us hope now, we also have to grapple with the reality of we're going through a lot. We're hurting. Our nations are hurting. As a church, we're hurting. And now where does God meet us in that situation? And Israel, too, they said, yeah, God, great, you're, you're going to establish your kingdom, but what about us now? What about us as, we're, as it looks like we're going into exile, as our enemies are surrounding us? What is the truth? And God recognizes that reality in verse 9 and 10, and he says, now, now, notice the time change before 
In 4, 1, it says, it shall come. In verse 6, on that day, in that day. But now, in, in verse 9, it says, now, now. Why do you cry aloud? Oh, is there no king in you? Has your counselor perished? That pain seized you like a woman in labor. Writhe and groan, O daughter of Zion, like a woman in labor, for you shall go out from the city and dwell in the open country. You shall go to Babylon. That's saying exile. They're, they're faced with the reality of the surrounding nations are going to take them away. He recognizes the hardship. He recognizes their reality, recognizes their pain. But then what does he say? In the midst of there, what is God going to do? There in Babylon, in your pain, in your suffering. Yes, you're there. You're in Babylon. There you shall be rescued. There the Lord will redeem you from the hand of your enemy. To be rescued and to redeem. There is, yes, a, a hope and there's a, there's, there's, a, there's a hope of a future that's, that's, that projects light into us now. But then God also meets them in their pain, in their the hardship of their situation. God meets them. He says, in Babylon, from there, I will rescue you. And, and this isn't a denial of pain, and this isn't a denial of realities. We're not, we're, not, we're not people who are expecting to, when God comes, everything, everything gets better miraculously. No, but God says, I meet you in the midst of that struggle. And my grace in the midst of that struggle should remind you of the grace of the future, of the hope that's coming. You notice the language in, in the end of 10 verses, in the end of 10 into 11 and 12. It says, so many nations are assembled against you. Right? And then, but then verse 12, it says, they do not know the thoughts of the Lord. They do not understand his plans, that they are gathered to him as, as sheaves to the threshing floor, arise and thresh. He says, I will, that's threshing is, to be cr is, is grain to be crushed so that the seeds, he says, oh, the nations are going to be crushed. And he says, that's, that's justice that's happening, right? He says, there's going to be restoration for Israel and there's going to be justice because Assyria and Babylon, yes, God is using those nations, but those nations are not in and of themselves just, right? And, and so what God promises, what God says is that their will be restoration for those who are far off, and there will be justice. What does that sound like? That sounds like the nation. That sounds like the language on, on, in, in verses one to, 1 to 9, where God says, in that day, this is going to happen, right? What, what I'm trying to say is this, that when God, God doesn't neglect our current circumstances, but he meets us there. And, and the way he meets us there is a reflection of the great hope that we have for his kingdom coming. We're reminded as God meets us here in our frustration, in our circumstance, in our exile to Babylon, that he will one day return us. We're reminded from the small things that God is near. I, I heard a, a pastor talk about this one day, and it's always stuck with me. He said, every time I wash my hands or I take, my, take a shower, right, 
I, re I realize I'm, I'm afforded that luxury because I live in a first world country. But every time I wash my hands and I take a shower, it reminds me of two things. That one, I am washed by the blood of Christ and I am made clean. And I'm also reminded too of my baptism. I'm you, you use these small blessings every day, but it reminds you of, of these greater realities. Or, or maybe something like this, where, where if, if you've ever had a friend pray for you, or a friend just give you an encouraging word that just hits home, that's exactly the thing that you need to hear. And you say, wow, I, I needed to hear that. That's exactly what, that's exactly, that's, that's I, I was hopeless and now I have hope, right? Now that's, that, that should, it shouldn't just stay there, but it should remind us that God is looking out for us. God is caring for us and that ultimately God is going to be the one who makes a way for us. That God cares. That, that there, there are these smaller realities that transcend into this hope that we have of God's kingdom coming again. It's not ignoring the difficulties that we face, but it is knowing that there is a hope one day projecting light, projecting hope into our current realities now. God's kingdom is coming where there's going to be hope and justice and peace. The broken are going to be healed and God meets us in the frustrations of our, day, of our days now. Now, I, I want to get personal because I, I want to talk about what that has meant for me and maybe what that can mean for you. As I've, um, one, of, one, of the, one of the biggest things that I noticed here when I was serving here as a seminarian was that there are so many really amazing people here at Crossbridge. There really are. Uh, the, the leaders are caring and kind, but they're smart and intelligent and hardworking. They know how to lead people. They know how to love God. They know how to disciple. There, there's so many smart, engaging, funny, wonderful people here in Crossbridge. And as I, now, but, at, but as I've worked here as pastoral staff, as your minister, one of the things that I've noticed as I've gone around and talked to more people and gone a little bit more deep is that there's also a lot of hurt here at Crossbridge. There's a lot of hurt. And, and it comes from a, a variety of sources and a variety of groups, from youth all the way to adults to parents, young adults, college-aged kids. There's, there's a lot of hurt. You know, it, it might be feeling neglected. It might be feeling like, you, like you, didn't, you never had a place where you fit in. It might be feeling unsupported. You know, it might have been like the, the changes that have gone on. It might, it, it, some, some of the things are relational things between you and between members of the congregation. Sometimes it's, 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 a, it's hurt coming from pastoral staff. And, and for me, as, as I've been hearing all of these stories and hearing all of these frustrations for me, it, it's, been, it's been overwhelming for me because there has been so much hurt from before I came here. And then also too, like how now that I'm part of the system, now I'm part of this hurt that, that you're experiencing, that is being experienced in the church. And for me, it, it's overwhelming because there's so many people who are hurt. And there's so, there's so much deep-rooted frustration and hurt that I, that I don't know how to deal with it. And, and you know, as, as we've done Strength Finders, um, in a lot of our leadership groups, the, my, my, my top strength was empathy. It hurts me. It absolutely hurts me to know that there are so many of you who are hurt. 
and that there's so little I can do about it. Yes, I mean, we're gonna, we're gonna try to change systems and get things better, but it's hard. What can I do? You know, in, in this situation, and maybe that's how some of you feel about some of your relationships here at Crossbridge. Maybe that's how some of you feel maybe about systemic injustice in America or racial injustice, or maybe after the social, uh, so, the missions and social concerns conference, injustice throughout the world and the systems that take place to promote these, to, to promote injustice, right? It's, I, I, I feel sometimes so entirely helpless. And as I was reading this passage about when God's kingdom will come, that there will be justice, the broken will be healed, there will be peace. I was reminded of this truth. Because God's kingdom is coming. Because, because when, when Jesus came, he says the kingdom of God is coming. And as the Holy Spirit has come, the kingdom of God is coming. And we're also waiting for, we're in that already not yet, right? Where the kingdom has come, but it doesn't come in full. And so we're in this tension where, the, where, we're, where, 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 okay. We're in this tension. But, but it, there's hope because I know in the midst of all this hurt and all this frustration and this pain and suffering, that God's kingdom is coming and that he's working here in this church. And that's what allows me to get up in the bed, get, get up, get up, yeah, in the bed every morning and serve all of you and preach, and preach like this and do worship and go to, these, and go to small groups and, and lead Bible studies. Even though I know there's so much hurt and, you know, that we, we are trying to, as a, as a pastoral staff and as a church and a body, address a lot of these things and, and the, the root causes and the systems and, you know, we're, we're trying, but my hope is in Christ, is that God is going to be doing work. And, and I, I pray for you, my hope, is that if, if, if you think of your, of your hurt, maybe if it's within the church, or maybe you think of if there's hopelessness outside, within our current systems, maybe there's a friend, or maybe it's even your family misunderstanding your parents. that you wouldn't give up, that you wouldn't fall into despair, but that you'd have hope because God's kingdom is coming. It doesn't mean we have no responsibility, right? We, we, we are responsible. Chapters one through three is Israel's responsibility for all their failures, all their sin. We're responsible for justice. We're responsible for rebuilding relationships too, yeah. We're, the responsibility isn't taken, taken off of us just because God's kingdom is coming. But it means that in the midst of the frustrations, in the midst of the temptation to despair, that there is a hope for me and hope for you. And we don't, we don't have to give up. We don't have to give up on people and organizations on hope, on justice. Yeah, I, I think I, maybe I'll just leave you with this. You know, is there a person or a few people or a group that you've just kind of written off, 
you know, that you don't want to deal with anymore. Maybe it's, maybe you've been engaged in racial justice and you're not seeing the change and you've kind of said, I've lost hope in that. Maybe it's been even been us as a pastoral staff or us as a church, or maybe it's the church universal, all churches, and maybe it's Jesus. My prayer for you is that you would have hope in the midst of hopelessness, not because we as pastoral staff are good, not because a president is going to come change things, no, but because God's kingdom is coming, and it has come, and it's still coming. Let's pray. Jesus, we are sinners in need of a Savior, and you promise that you will come, that you will come meet us. Lord, help us if we're hurt. Help us if we struggle from hopelessness and despair. We need you, God. But we know that your kingdom is coming and that you're good. Help us to feel hope once more. Help us to trust that when you come, when your kingdom comes, that you will just righteously, you will judge righteously. That you will bring peace and that you will heal the broken. And that you will heal us. Thank you, God. I pray in your name. Amen.